this week on Pointing the Way with Pastor Shad Smith. Welcome to Pointing the Way, a ministry of the Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. We pray you will find direction for living as we look into the Word of God today.
Well, the television, one of these days, Andy and Barney will probably literally be right there in your living room, a hologram or something. I don't know. But what I do know is this. I doubt any of you are still using a pair of pliers over at your house to turn it to Channel 17 and watch the Braves. But the business is, some things still, some things are just obsolete. What's true in the physical realm can also be said sometimes in the spiritual realm, in the case of Hebrews chapter 8 this morning. In the Old Testament, God made a covenant with His people. Now, a covenant is an agreement. It's a fancy word for an agreement between two people. And here was God's covenant with the people in the Old Testament. God said, if you want to come to me, you got to do what's right. you got to follow the law. you got to be holy. That was the agreement that God made with His people back yonder in the Old Testament. You can read about that covenant in Exodus 24. When Moses came down off Mount Sinai, he gathered the people together and he read that covenant. What God's demands were if you wanted to come to God. All these laws. And in Exodus 24 and verse 7, the Bible says, listen, listen how they responded. He, Moses, took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said, All that the Lord hath said will we do and be obedient. God set out its terms, and the people agreed. We will do it. But there was a problem. There was a problem in that old covenant because they didn't keep up their end of the deal. They didn't hold up a covenant for it to work. Both parties have to do what they agreed to do. Now, the law of God was not the problem. The law has never been the problem. The people were the problem. It was impossible for them to keep the covenant, to keep the law. And the reason was, is because they had a natural bend in their flesh away from the things of God. It's called iniquity. That's what it means, to be bent away from God. And we're all born that way. We're born Bent away from God. Nobody had to teach you how to lie, steal, get mad, get angry, sin. Nobody had to teach you those things. You were born with that natural inclination away from God. And so the law and the old covenant never worked because it was trying to be kept by a bunch of people that were bent away from God. And now we come to the New Testament and God makes a new covenant. And this time, in this covenant, it's a much better covenant, by the way, Because the two parties involved in making this covenant work, the first is the Father, and the second is the Son. The Father and the Son are the two parties agreeing together in this covenant, and the third person of God, the Holy Spirit, is what offers what the Father and Son do, offers it to my life and your life. You see, in the new covenant, Jesus Christ does for us what we can't do. In Exodus 24, God told the people back then, keep the law. And the people said, we will. But they didn't. In the New Covenant, the Lord Jesus looks at the demands of God to be right with God. And where the people said, we will, back in the Old Covenant, Jesus looks at the New Covenant and Jesus says, I will. And so what Jesus does is he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. The old covenant's built on the law, but the new covenant is built on God's grace. Do you remember when Jesus had his last supper with his disciples? He took the cup and he said, this is my blood 
of the New Testament. He was introducing them to a new covenant. A covenant that was going to be based on His grace. A covenant that was going to be made available to them by His blood. They were not going to deal with God anymore on the basis of that old covenant because they could not make the old covenant work. You see, the old covenant was conditional. God says, you do this and I'll do this. And they couldn't do their end of the deal. So now, God has replaced the old covenant. The old covenant's like those old cell phones, those old TVs. It's obsolete. It wouldn't make sense to go back and try to use that anymore. And the writer of Hebrews shows us in this 8th chapter what a blessing it is for God to say out with the old and in with the new. There are several things in Hebrews chapter 8 that make the new covenant a better covenant. And I'm going to explain those to you today with the Lord's help. Notice in verse number 1, first of all, the new covenant is better because of the priest of the new covenant. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Now the things which we have spoken, this is the Son. We're met here with the great high priest that he's been talking about in the first seven chapters. He says in verse 1, We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in, uh, in the heavens. This great high priest, he is the mediator of this brand new covenant. He says there in verse 1, we have such a high priest. And he uses that little word such. And what that's doing, if you had not been with us over the last several weeks, is pulling together chapters 1 through 7. Everything that's been said about our great high priest, the Lord Jesus. He was a priest selected by God. He was a priest that got the job done once and for all. He is the superior high priest. He makes the once and for all sacrifice for sin, and now he has gone with his blood into the veil of heaven's holy of holies, and he's made the payment for my sin and your sin, a once and for all eternal payment. In chapter 8, he said, this is the kind of high priest we've got, such a high priest. Now, the book of Hebrews was written when there was a Jewish temple still standing over there in Jerusalem. And some of these Hebrews were contemplating where all that temple stuff worked into their Christian life now that they're Christians. I mean, they've been Jews living under the law. Now they're living under grace. And what do we do with the temple? What do we do? We've been going every year over to the temple to have sacrifice. Can we stop doing that now? Well, the writer of Hebrews shows them, folks, you don't have a need for an earthly high priest anymore because you've got a better high priest. Jesus did for you what no earthly priest could do for you. Notice what makes him better in verse number 1. It says that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Do you know the earthly priest, Brother Joe, never sat down? In the furniture, in the tabernacle, in the temple, one thing that you will not find in there is a chair. You won't find a chair. You know, we got chairs all over the place. Got chairs up here, chairs you sitting down. Heck, y'all wouldn't come to church if I got to sit down for 45 minutes and y'all had to stand up. Uh, that's why we got pews all over the building. Do you know over there in the tabernacle in the temple, they didn't have any chairs? You know why? There's no need to sit up. Nothing ever got finished over there. When you were there, you were working if you were a priest. There was still work to be done. The priest would go in and do his work. He'd come back out of the Holy of Holies. He'd go back in because there's more work to be done the next year. I mean, it's just a, just a cycle over and over and over. The work of atoning never got done. 
Now, when Jesus came, Jesus went into the Holy of Holies in heaven once and for all, once and for eternity. Now, he's still there today. It's not the work of atoning that he is doing for us today. It is the work of advocating that he is doing for eternity. That's why he is seated at the right hand of the Father on the throne of God, of the majesty on high. He is ever interceding for you and me. I, t- I told you this before. I'll say it again. He died down here to get you saved. He lives over yonder to keep you saved. And today, he sits on the throne. But we're talking about a priest. Isn't the throne an unusual place for a priest to be? I mean, you can imagine a king would sit on the throne. But a priest... Why would a priest ever sit on the throne? But you've got to remember, this is the priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, we talked last week about him. He is the priest slash king. He's the only other king priest in the Bible. And Jesus is both our priest and our king, and he sits upon the majesty of the throne of God in heaven's holy of holies. Jesus Christ is exalted today. I don't care what the world, how the world tries to put him down. He is high and lifted up. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8 down through 10 that Jesus, being found in fashion of a man, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. But after he died, the Bible says, Wherefore God hath highly exalted him. Our Savior has been exalted. He has been enthroned at the highest throne of the universe. And the appeal to the Jews in this eighth chapter is this. If he is your high priest, how can you search for another? How are you ever going to find a better high priest than this? That's kind of like the appeal I made to my wife when we got married. I said, why would you look for another? How does it get any better than this? And she's never looked for another. So they would say to these Jews, how would you look for another? Why would you go looking for another high priest? It doesn't get any better than Jesus. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. If you didn't search for a new priest, why would you go back to the old covenant? That old legal system. The old covenant said, keep the law so you can get to God. But legalism, that system never worked. There's some... Good old-fashioned Baptists today still trying to live under that legal system. Do this, do this, do this, do, do, do this. And ladies and gentlemen, if we could have did all of that, Christ died in vain. If you could do something and get to God. Beloved, uh, salvation is not based on you doing this. It's based on what He has done. It's not based on D-O. It's based on D-O-N-E. That's the Christian life. It's the life of Christ. Why in the world would people try to uh, go back under an old legal system? For the Jews, it required them every year to bring a new sacrifice. Why do they have to bring a new sacrifice? To cover up last year's sin. It never, it never fully got the job done. But this new covenant, mediated by this new high priest, this thing's got the job done once and for all. Everything's covered. Now, all the sins of your past, the sins you commit today, Hey, the sins I have yet to commit have already been paid for at Calvary. Isn't that a glorious new way of doing things? Friend, uh, under the old covenant, that made the people getting to God all about their ability to keep the law. They couldn't do it. That's why God gave them the new covenant. Getting to God is about being good enough. I've got news for you. We're all in trouble. We're all in trouble. 
It amazes me today the number of people, even people in the church, you hear say stuff like this. This shouldn't be part of their vernacular, but they say, well, I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to live a good life. Ladies and gentlemen, you'll move further in the Christian life when you understand you're not a good person. And all of your self-esteem just went down the drain right there. But that's just the truth, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not here to give you a, 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 little, a little devotional pep talk today. I'm here to tell you, you and I are not good people. John Newton got it right when he said, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Look at your neighbor if you're not scared to and say, I'm a wretch. Isn't that just the truth? Uh, but listen, an old wretch doesn't have a place in heaven unless he's got somebody mediating a new covenant for him. A new covenant. Uh, we have no righteousness of our own. We're wretched sinners. But listen, if I'm going to get to heaven and righteousness and holiness is required of me to get me to heaven, then something's going to happen drastic. Somebody else is going to have to take some righteousness and put over on my account. And that's what Jesus Christ, that's where he comes in. I'm talking to somebody today, you, you deeply desire a relationship with God, but... You're afraid you can't live up to the standard. You say, oh, when I live it, I'll get saved. Or when I can do this, or when I can do that. I just can't meet the standard. Join the crowd, honey. I can't meet the standard either. None of us can. That's why Jesus came and Jesus fulfilled the demand of God's law. He didn't break any of the law. He kept the whole thing. And what he accomplished in living that sinless life, he offers that to you in his life. In his death, his life, his resurrection, he offers his sinless life to you to put on your account. And so Jesus did for us what the earthly priesthood could not do. He's a better priest. You know, if you'd gone to the temple over there in Jerusalem, you would have seen on the holy day, you would have seen uh, two sacrifices out there. One for you, but there was another one. A big old fatted calf out there. A big old fat sacrifice. You know what that other... Sacrifice was for for the priest. You see, before he could ever go and offer for your sins, he had to go take care of his. That's the difference between the earthly priest and our great high priest. He had no sins of his own to die for, yet he died so he can take his death now and pay for your sins. Well, that's wonderful. The new covenant is better, number two, because of the place of the new covenant. The old covenant took place on earth. The new, new covenant takes place in heaven. And now, if we still depended on the old covenant, on the old covenant that uh, was attempted to be worked out over there in Jerusalem, uh, we'd be in a mess. Uh, do you know the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem in A.D. 70? If you were still trying to live by the old system, you're, you're in big trouble because there's no, there's no sacrificial system. Anymore, there's, there's no temple. But Jesus doesn't minister for us in an earthly temple. The Bible says here in this book of Hebrews that he has passed through the heavens beyond the veil. He has gone into heaven's sanctuary for us. And that's what verse 2 says. He is a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle. There's no tabernacle, no temple standing over there in Israel today. But where it matters, there is a temple. There is a temple standing. Where? In heaven. In fact, that temple on earth was just made as a copy after that temple that is in heaven. The heavenly temple was the pattern for the earthly temple. God told that to Moses. 
And the old covenant and the old temple wouldn't do you any good anyway today because all it'd do when you got over there is just show you how lost you was. And the law does that. The old covenant showed us how lost we were. Uh, somebody said one time, if you always do what you've always done, you will always get what you've always got. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. What did they always do over at the earthly temple? Verse 3 says, they offered sacrifices according to the law. As you see in verse 3, the word sacrifices had an S on the end of it. Why is that important? It's plural. It wasn't just one sacrifice. Another, and another, and another, and another, and another, and another. Had to, they had to keep doing it over and over and over. The, the price never got paid. But now you look in verse 4. It says, for if he were on earth, that's Jesus, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. Do you know when Jesus was on this earth for those 33 and some odd years, uh, he, he was never a priest while he was on earth? Uh, he never went into the Holy of Holies while he was here on the earth. He, he never offered sacrifice. He never offered sacrifice because he never had to. He never committed sin. But he never did the work of a priest either because he didn't qualify to be a Jewish high priest or a Jewish priest of any kind for that matter because a priest had to come from the tribe of Levi. Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi. What tribe was Jesus from? He was from the tribe of Judah. That's right. He didn't even qualify to be an earthly high priest. And so when Jesus was on the earth, he didn't come to be our priest. He came to be our sacrifice. And after he gave himself as our sacrifice on the cross, then he ascended back to heaven and started his job as a priest. He takes his own blood. He goes into heaven's holy of holies. He lays that blood out on heaven's mercy seat, pours it out there, shows his father that justice has been satisfied in his death. Now, when they made sacrifices over there in Jerusalem at that temple, those sacrifices were simply shadows. They, they were types of the sacrifice of Christ. Types and shadows. You understand? Is the Old Testament kind of pointing to what was going to happen in the New Testament? Speaking in verse 5 of that old system, it says, They who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished to God when he was about to make the tabernacle. Uh, the, the temple on earth was a copy of the temple in heaven. Heaven is the place where sin would be atoned for for all of eternity. The earthly temple was just the shadow. And what he's saying here is we don't need the earthly temple anymore. We don't need the, the shadow anymore. We've got reality. Why stand in the shadow when you can live in the sunshine? Somebody say amen. We've got the great high priest. The one who has got into the real Holy of Holies offered the uh, perfect blood, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect substitute to pay for my sins once and for all. And so you and I today, we can go into the veil. We can go into heaven's holy place, uh, spiritually speaking today, by prayer into the very presence of God. And we can literally one day go into the very presence of God because he tore down the veil on the cross and made a way for you and I to go into the throne room of God. So the new covenant is better because it's mediated in a better place. Because it mediates there in heaven, you can go to heaven one day. 
Now notice the last thing this morning. The new covenant is better because of the promises of the new covenant. In verses 6 down to the end of the chapter, the rest of this deals with the promises of the new covenant. Verse 6 says, Jesus hath obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better problems. You see, the new covenant exposes all the problems of the old covenant. In verse 7, the writer of Hebrews uh, shows us that there were some problems with the old covenant. He says in verse 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there should uh, no place have been sought for the second. You see, the first covenant uh, was, was faulty because they couldn't keep it. They couldn't keep the law. The problem, I told you, wasn't their, their law. Law wasn't the problem. Problem is your ability to keep the law. Some people say, get rid of the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments is not the problem. You're the problem. I'm the problem. Not the Ten Commandments. Our inability to keep the law. Secondly, the law made it clear that man was unacceptable to God, but made no provision for him to get to God. You understand? It showed us the problem, but never gave us the remedy, the answer. Thirdly, the first covenant was faulty because... It was all about law, and it showed us all about God's holiness and God's justice, and those things are true, but it showed us nothing of God's grace and God's forgiveness. We didn't see that in the first covenant. In fact, there in the, in the book of Exodus, the Jews read the old covenant, and they said, we will. They promised to keep the law, but it didn't take long to figure out that they would not be able to keep the law. Right? I mean, not long after Moses comes down off that mountain, what's he find down there? He finds the children of Israel dancing around a gold calf. They've already turned away from the Lord, worshiping an idol. They were lousy at keeping the law. And i got news for you. You're lousy and I'm lousy at keeping the law too. I mean, God says, obey my law. And we say, we will. But we don't. The six times at the end of chapter 8, there's a beautiful phrase. Is the phrase, I will. I will. Jesus says, I know you can't do this, so I will. I will do it for you. Let's watch what he does in verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make for the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. Uh, what Jesus does with the new covenant is he puts it down on the inside. Uh, the old covenant, Brother Curtis, was external. Do you know those old laws? Do you know what they were written on? They were written on tablets of stone. External. Out here on the outside. But in this new covenant, Jesus takes and he writes that very law down on the inside. He makes the new covenant not an external matter. He makes it an internal matter. There's a big improvement in the two covenants right there. It's an inside job. You see, an external law can control people, but it never changes people. I'll give you for, uh, for an example. The law can control a thief by putting him in jail. Uh, our local law authority here in, in Paulding County, they can take a, a thief, a robber, a burglar, you can put him in jail where he can't steal you ask our local law enforcement, they'll tell you. 
You let him out of jail. Give him a little time. He's right back in there. Uh, the, the law was not designed to make thieves honest. It was designed to punish thieves. Now, that's what the law is for. But you take an old thief and you get him saved and God writes the law on his heart. And he gives him a desire to do what God says to do. He won't steal anymore. Why? Not because he's trying to keep an external law from the outside in, but because God has written that law in his heart and God has given him a desire in down in his heart to keep the law of God. That's the promise of the new covenant. It works from the inside out, not from the outside in. A lot of folks religiously are trying to work backwards, outside in. Take an old sinner and try to wash him up on the outside Make him a better person. Get him on the road with the church somewhere. Get him in a Sunday school class. Change him. No, ladies and gentlemen, you can't change him. Get him saved, then you won't have to beg him to come to church. But Jesus changed him from the inside out. There's another promise. In verse 11, it says, They shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me. Under the old covenant, they had special teachers to teach the law. Had to just always teach the law of God. But in the new covenant, the teacher is living on the inside of you. He's there on the inside. It's the Holy Spirit of God. Now listen, uh, when you get saved, the Spirit of God, Jesus said He'll teach you all things. Now that doesn't mean you can't learn from a Bible teacher or a preacher. But it means you don't have to come to me for everything. Somebody say amen right there. You've got the teacher living on the inside of you. That's what's different. Over there in the Old Testament, every time they needed to get a sin taken care of, they run over there to the high priest. I want you to understand, he's put the teacher in your heart. You've got him living right there. He's with you when I can't be. He's with you. He's with these Jews when their priests, their earthly priests, couldn't be. The old covenant. Had so many things wrong with this new covenant. Starts on the inside, works its way out. The old covenant says live right and get to God. The new covenant says get to God and you can live right. Well, that brings up a question then. If you're going to be under this new covenant, get to God and then you can live right. How do you get to God? Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today. Pointing the Way is a ministry of Northside Baptist Church in Dallas, Georgia. If you would like to contact the ministry, you may write Pointing the Way, 120 Northside Church Road, Dallas, Georgia, 30132. Or visit us on the web at www.northsidedallas.com. Until next time, open God's Word to point the way for direction in your life.